You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. My name's Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. If I haven't met you yet, I hope I'll have the chance to uh, after the service. Um, and as we're turning our attention now to the message, I do want to make one, uh, one more announcement. And it's that next week we're going to have our annual State of City Church sermon. So I've been doing this for over 10 years now. And around this time of year, we take a Sunday and we talk about the year just passed at City Church. And we look ahead a little bit. So I hope that you'll come uh, next Sunday and join us for that. Uh, today, uh, I want to introduce to you... Shad Baker. He's a friend of mine. He's a pastor in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And Shad and I met 25 years ago in a Hebrew class at seminary. And uh, he's been my best friend since then. Some might say my only friend. Um, But uh, I, I don't want you to listen to him today because he's a pastor in Pennsylvania. I don't want you to listen to him today because he's my friend. I want you to listen to him today because he's going to be sharing from God's word. And as Meg said earlier, we, um, we, we love God's word here at City Church, and we want to honor it. And I think you'll hear that from Shad this afternoon. So let's welcome Shad to City Church. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the privilege of being able to speak with you. I've been praying for you in part because I knew Eric had been teaching and, and now praying because you're going to be listening to me teach and, and listening to me teach about testing and tests are never popular. And I was thinking about the fact that that's probably not a great way to start you know, speaking about testing, except I had this incredible experience on Thursday where I was at a basketball game for my son and one of the men who was working with the other team came over. He happened to be part of our church, and he was talking to me, and he was laughing and, and just having a good time. And I said to him, hey, I thought I saw in the prayer request for the church that you've got a test for your heart tomorrow. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I said, are you nervous? He says, no, I'm sure it'll be fine. It's no problem. The next morning, I got a phone call that they tested his heart, and they immediately took him into surgery and did a double bypass surgery right after the test. And so... I was thinking just about this passage that we're going to be looking at where Jesus gives us three tests. And I thought even though tests are not popular, even though that's probably not something you're looking forward to, it could be the case that a test could save your life. And the passage that we're examining this afternoon is a passage that could save your life for all of eternity. It's a passage which calls us to examine three different areas of our life. And so I'm looking at three different tests. It's really a test of the heart, a test of the eye and a test of the soul, or as I'm going to explain it from the passage, where is your heart, where is your focus, and who do you serve? So those are the three headings, sort of where is your heart, where is your focus, and who do you serve? And with that sort of understanding that what we're about to do is extremely important because we're going to look at tests which Jesus himself has given to us, I want to take a moment and just pray, and I'd like to invite you to join me. We'll pray together. So let's just pray for a moment. 
Heavenly Father, as we approach your scriptures, would you open up our heart so that we could receive every good thing that you have to say to us? Father, would you give us a mind that is willing to receive the truth? I pray, Lord, that we would apply these tests, that we'd administer to the, these tests to ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit, and that we would have a clear picture of our spiritual health. Lord, we pray that even if there might be some trepidation about being tested, that we would understand that you, you are a gracious and a good God, and that when you test us, it's not to expose us to shame or to humiliation, but it's to bring us into a place of health. And so, Father, may we come before you expecting grace and receiving it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so three tests, and, and the first test is the question, where is your heart? And I'm looking now at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, where Jesus is speaking to his listeners, and he administers this first test, where is your heart? And these are the words which Christ speaks. This is the word of our Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the first question for us to think about is this, where is your heart? Because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And if you're asking the question, well, I'm not exactly sure where my heart is at, and that must have been the case for some of the people that were listening to Jesus, that they could not identify where their heart had been placed. Jesus is in essence saying, follow the money. And if you follow the money, you'll find out where your heart is at. And actually, he uses the word treasure, not money, and treasure because it could be that what you treasure is not finances. Maybe your treasure is something different. Maybe you treasure your reputation or your followers or subscribers. Maybe you treasure your clothes or your children or your sports or your job or your hobby. Whatever it is that you treasure, Jesus says, that's where you're going to find your heart. And so we want to find where our heart is because Jesus is saying that we shouldn't be laying up treasures on earth but we should lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And so Jesus wants us to do some examination. Where is your heart at? Where have you placed your treasure? Is it in heaven or Christ is seated at the right hand of God or have you placed your treasure on earth? If you don't know the answer to that question and you're looking to discover where your treasure is at, then one activity which could be helpful would be to look at your bank account and to see where you have been spending your money or to look at your credit card. Where is it that your, that your money is going? And wherever that is, it's likely that that's your treasure and that your heart is there as well. But for some, it would be more helpful to look at your calendar and to see where you're spending your time. And for example, if you're spending 60 hours a week at work, well, then it's very likely that your treasure is at work and that's where your heart is. If you find that you're spending an inordinate amount of time um, watching reels or TikTok videos. That may be where your heart is at. And so it's important for us to take some time um, this week to look around and to say, where is my treasure? Because that's where my heart will be as well. And then let me just give you a quick practice here. Maybe you could just look in your calendar and say, where is it that I have set aside time for my eyes to fall on the Holy Word of God? Where is it in my schedule that I have given time to speak with God in prayer. And if we have to be honest, we might say that we haven't given God the time that he deserves, that our schedule really has been devoted to the things of this world 
And the challenge with that is if we have devoted our attention, our heart, our finances to the things of this world, we're making an investment which is really a very terrible investment. I have been studying investing not because I have any money to invest, but because I'd like to understand what are some wise principles related to investing. And one of the things which becomes very clear early on if you're studying investing is that you should diversify. And what that means is if you are placing your money in stocks, you shouldn't put it all in one stock. That's not good diversification. In fact, you shouldn't even put it all in stocks. You should spread out your finances into into bonds or real estate. You don't want to put everything in one place because if one area fails, then you will lose all that you've got. And in fact, we even have a saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And that saying is basically conveying the same idea that it's, it's wise to diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And if you've been following the price of eggs, you understand that could be a treasure. That's very expensive. And if you have all your eggs in one basket and you drop that basket, well, then there goes your whole treasure. And so you should diversify, spread it out. And it may be that financially that, that's a wise strategy. But spiritually, Jesus says that is a terrible strategy. And the reason it's a terrible strategy to diversify spiritually is because one of those investments is absolutely guaranteed to fail. And that is any investment which is on the things of this earth. And I wanted to point that out because if I'm, if I'm honest, as I examine my own life, I have to acknowledge that I'd like to say that my treasure is in heaven, but the reality is I have diversified and I have put some treasure in heaven and some treasure on earth. And if you are going to examine your life, could you be honest and acknowledge that you have not been 100% committed to spiritual things, but you are also investing in the things of this earth? and expecting there that you are hedging your bets in some way that you're diversifying so that you could have some of the pleasures of this world and some of the pleasures of heaven as well. Now, Jesus explains that all of the treasures of this earth are coming to nothing. They fade away. As he points out in the passage, that the things of this earth are destroyed by moth, by rust, and by thieves. By moth, what he's, what he's thinking about here is if you were to put clothes in a closet and the moths were to come in and they would eat holes through the clothing so that the clothes are worth nothing anymore. Or if you think about rust, how it dissolves and, and ruins even something that looks to be incredibly sturdy and stable. Years ago, we lived in upstate New York, and they salt the roads very heavily in upstate New York, and I noticed that the wheel wells on my car were completely rusting out. And when I borrowed the car of the senior pastor, I noticed that the floorboard was completely rusted through, that if you went over a puddle, your feet got wet, and that's because the rust had just done its work of dissolving. I think in science, we call this entropy, that just things sort of break down over time. And if you give things any amount of time, it's likely to be stolen. Jesus says next that it's thieves, break in and steal. I've I've heard of time as a thief. I think if you look at purchases that you've made, especially in the area of technology, you'd have to acknowledge that it quickly becomes obsolete. The clothes that you buy, uh, the, the, the collectibles that you gather quickly fall out of style and if it's people that you're collecting if you say oh no it's it's not material things but i'm sort of collecting friends and the affections of others i have many followers well if you watch carefully you'll notice that people are fickle that those who are following you today will will not not too distant in the future be 
attracted to another flower that's more fragrant, like a bee moving from one flower to the next. Your followers will go from one person to the next. And the reason that is, is because the treasures on this earth are fading away. In fact, they're, they're, destined, they're destined to fail. All the things of this earth will come to nothing. They will lose value. When I was in high school, I listened to a, a woman who was a missionary speak. She was speaking to a group of us, and she was describing her experience as a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And she had brought with her to speak with her a couple of men from Papua New Guinea. And these men had never been out of Papua New Guinea, in fact, had never been out of the jungle. And she was explaining that shortly before they came to this event to speak, they had visited that great American icon of McDonald's and had bought ice cream cones. And if you can just picture this, one of the men was eating an ice cream cone for the first time in his life, a grown man eating ice cream for the first time in his life. And as I was sort of picturing that, I think, you know, ice cream is probably the most important food group in all of the world. And as he's eating this ice cream, he has this thought, he's a, he's a good man, and he has this thought, it would not be right for me to have this ice cream and not give any to my family back in Papua New Guinea. And so he took some of the ice cream and just sort of secretly put it into his pocket. Now, of course, we know that what's going to happen, and that is that it will melt and it will soil your clothes, and that's exactly what happened. And he was, he was embarrassed by what had happened. And as she was telling the story, you could see him up standing next to her, his face flushed red, that he was embarrassed that he, he had treasured something that would not last. And yet many of us today, we're holding on to things, pressing them into our pockets, which will not last, and which, when it comes down to the very end, will end up only soiling not our clothes but our soul. And how embarrassed will we be at our lack of wisdom when God himself, not Warren Buffett, but God is giving us more than wisdom. He's giving us instruction. He's not suggesting that we don't lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. He is commanding us because he loves us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Moth and rust and thieves will destroy. It will break down. It will lose value. Instead, go all in. Put all of your investment, everything you have, into the treasures of heaven. We might ask the question, well, how do we do that? What is the process for putting our treasure in heaven? Now, in Colossians 3, verse 2, it says, to set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We're to put our mind on Christ, on the things of Christ. We're to envision Jesus in all of his loveliness and his beauty. One of the ways that we begin to shift from a focus of investment on the passing away things of this world to the eternal things of God is to lift our gaze off of the things of this world onto Christ. And if we're to, if we're to compare the things of this world, let's drag them up to the throne of God and, and put them next to Jesus and see if they don't pale in comparison, that there's absolutely nothing on this earth which can stand in the glory of Jesus Christ and, and not look utterly worthless next to Jesus. This is why the Apostle Paul says that he considers all the things that he's ever enjoyed, all of the approval of people, whatever position he achieved, he says, I consider it rubbish, it's garbage compared to the all-surpassing glory of knowing Jesus Christ. How, how do we change our mindset so that we invest in the things of heaven? First, we have to begin looking at Christ and finding him to be exquisitely wonderful. And then there is something very practical for us to do, and that is to give. The scriptures explain that the world is like a, 
well, it's like chains holding us down. And we have to break the chains of the physical possessions of this earth. And one of the ways to do that is to give. My challenge to you this week is to give away cash to somebody anonymously, not claiming it on your taxes, but giving it as a gift, as a way of, of breaking the hold that the things of this earth have on you. And if you say, well, I, I don't have cash to give, then give something of value that you own. Give it away as, as a way of, of acknowledging that the treasures of this earth are not going to control you, that you're going to break the hold that this world has on you, because we all, if we were going to be honest, would have to confess that this world has, has a pull on our soul. And so to break that, we're going to give. And we must give something of real value. We, we can't just give what we have decided we no longer need. At the church where I work in, in Pennsylvania, we have a, a parking lot, and in the parking lot is a collection bin. And people come and they donate stuff into this collection bin. And my window happens to look out on the collection bin. And often what people bring and put into the collection bin is just, it's, it's garbage. It's the stuff that, which they have either broken, used up, and, and they're just getting rid of it. And they have probably no room left in their trash. And they're putting it into the collection bin. And then they're justifying to themselves and to the others, look, look what I'm giving. Look how I'm helping people. But the truth is, they're not parting with anything that takes any, any focus on Jesus. Really, they're just decluttering. But if you will give something that has had a hold on you and you give it to somebody who's in need, watch and see if it doesn't begin to lift your eyes onto Christ and help you to value the things which last. Because for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here is the good news, that Jesus has opened up for us a whole new investment opportunity, an investment opportunity that will not fail, an investment opportunity which is guaranteed to produce a return that is, well, beyond anything that you can imagine. In fact, what the Apostle Paul says about heaven is that no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That whatever it is that you invest in the things of, of Christ will multiply and grow and expand, while, on the other hand, everything that you invest on the things of this earth is guaranteed to disappear. The offer which Jesus is making to you is that you can store up treasure that will last. And the only reason you would do that is if you know you're going to heaven. The only reason you would store up treasure in heaven is if you believed you were going there. I mean, I will not invest in anything on the moon because I don't have any expectation that I'll ever go to the moon. But I am convinced that I will go to heaven, not because of what I give here on earth, but because of faith in Jesus Christ. And that when I arrive in heaven, I will find waiting for me there a treasure far greater than anything that I ever imagined, a treasure which is of a value so high and so infinite that I, I would not even begin to compare it to the treasures on this earth. Yes, the first test is this, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Where is it that you are storing up your treasures? And then the second test, here we're coming to the second test that Jesus gives us, is this, where is your focus? And so in chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus says this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, many theologians say this is a very confusing passage, but I think actually 
the point is clear. The point is simply this, where is your focus? That the eye is the lamp of the body. Wherever your focus is, uh, that is going to determine what is coming into you, what is entering into you. So is your eye focused on the light of the world, which is Jesus? Or do you have your eye focused on those things that are dark and that are passing away? If you could give yourself, sort of administer an eye exam, where is it that your eye is focused today? Would you say, if you were giving an inventory of your life, that your eye is focused on Christ, or do you find that your eye is focused and perhaps on your investments? Maybe you're watching your investments, your bank account, to see when it goes up and when it goes down. And when it goes up, you feel happy, and when it goes down, you feel discouraged. Maybe it's on your progress at work. Maybe it's on the way that you are treated by other people. What is it that your eye is focused on? Is, there, is, it, is it the case that your eye is focused on Christ and on his eternal word? Or is your eye focused on those things which we know will pass away? One test that you could give yourself. Is this, what, do you, what is it that you look at the first thing in the morning? For so many of us, the first thing we look at is our phone. And what if, as a way of changing our focus, instead of looking at our phone, we, we look into the scriptures, into the holy word of God, into this word which is revealing to us the person of Jesus Christ? Could we change our focus so that what's coming into us, what we're letting into us, is the light of Christ instead of the darkness of the world? It, it, maybe I could put it this way, too, when you're on your phone, because, of course, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a phone or using a phone, but when you're scrolling through, what is it that is rolling past your eyes? Are you seeing those things which are good and which are lifting you up? Or is what's passing in front of you those things that are dark, sexual, materialistic, narcissistic? What I'm asking is that are you focused, as you are looking through your phone, something that is going to put your heart on Jesus, or are you focused on something which is going to drag you down into the darkness of this world? Are we focused on what's at the end of our hand, or are we focused in heaven where Christ is seated again at the right hand of God? Jesus says that the eye is the lamp of the body. Other poets have, have put it a little bit differently, although the same idea that the eye is the window into the body, the window of the soul. If you were to open up the window, what is it that comes streaming in? I mean, imagine on a cold, dark winter night that you open up the window and the darkness and the cold come pouring in, or conversely, on a warm Sunday, um, summer afternoon, you open up the windows and the light and the warmth comes streaming in. And this is all that Jesus is saying. He says, what's streaming? What's streaming into you? What is it that your eye is focused on? What is it that you're looking at? At what point in, in your day are you turning your eyes to Jesus? I'm reminded of that hymn that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth, they'll go strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And, and all that that hymn is saying is that when you look at the loveliness of Christ, just his absolute beauty, that the things of this world begin to lose their attractiveness. But you have to choose to put your focus on Christ. Where is your eye? That's the second test. Where is your eye? And here's the third and, and perhaps the most important test. The first is where is your heart? The second is where is your focus? The third is who do you serve? Who do you serve? Listen now to what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one 
and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here's the question, who do you serve? I wonder how you would answer that question. Who do you serve? I know there are quite a few people who would like to say, well, I don't serve anybody. I, if you're asking me who I serve, the answer is nobody. I serve nobody. And, and if that's the thought that you have, I, I want to just say very kindly, but I think accurately, you're deceiving yourself. Now, Jesus is clear. Everybody serves somebody. In fact, actually, I think it was that great theologian and Nobel Prize winner, Bob Dylan, who said, you're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve someone. And really, he's paraphrasing the words of Jesus. Choose this day whom you will serve. That's what, he, that's what Joshua says. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Who is it that you're serving? You've got, to, you've got to choose somebody. Who is it that you're choosing to serve? Are you serving the Lord or are you serving money? Actually, here in this passage, I think that the translators do us a disservice because the, the Greek word is actually mammon, not money. And you see that word mammon carries with it a different connotation than just money. Mammon is a whole force, it's a personality that is in direct conflict with God, in opposition to God, in competition with God. You know, we refer to God as almighty God, but we also refer to the almighty dollar. And that's a little bit getting into the, into the sphere of mammon, that it's this power, not just finances, but the things of this world, which exert an influence on us and which in fact are competing with, with the voice of Jesus. Two masters, each one calling to us. And it's the words of Christ which is calling to us and saying, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the voice of Jesus. It's a meek and a mild voice beckoning to us, come. Come, let me be your master. But then we have to acknowledge that on the other side is mammon calling to us, calling to us and saying, come to me, and I will give you the pleasures of this world. Come to me, and I will give you all that your eye can see. You know, that is the same offer which was made to Jesus as he was being tempted in the desert. I will give you everything that your eye can see. And that really is the invitation of this world uh, spoken to us through advertising and marketing, brash and, and bombastic saying, come, follow me. And, and don't just follow me, but obey me. And I will give you what you desire. I will give you what you see. But the problem is everything that your eye can see is, is fading away. It, it's, it, it's a promise for something which is losing value and which is guaranteed to absolutely disappear. And so when these two masters, competing masters, are calling to us, just be aware that when mammon is offering you the world, it's offering you something which is, which is going to destroy you. And mammon knows this. In fact, the truth of the matter is, mammon is a master that wants to kill you. Mammon is a master which wants to destroy you, wants to take your life, wants to rob you. But here is God calling out to you through the person of Jesus Christ, saying, let me be your master. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and, if, and if we want to say, well, I will diversify, I will follow the Lord and I will also follow mammon. I will be obedient to God and I will also be obedient to some of my own passions, some of the own, my own callings in this world. I have to say, it's impossible. You can't do it. Nobody can. And the reason for that is, these two masters are giving commands that are opposite of each other. Mam Mammon is saying to you, keep, hold, 
hoard, and if you spend, spend it selfishly. Well, God is saying, give, use, release, invest in others. And Mammon is, is saying to you, close your fist, and God is saying, open your hand and see if I don't fill it with all sorts of good things. God is not saying, give, and, and I will make you rich. I will make you a millionaire if you give. God is saying, give and see if I don't reward you. See if you don't begin to experience treasures in heaven which last. See if you don't, even in this life, begin to experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. No one can serve two masters. You don't get to choose whether, whether you can follow them both at the same time. You have to pick one or the other. And so let's go back to the testing. Let's test and look at our schedule. And if you look at your schedule and you find that you're working 60 plus hours a week and you have no time to give to the things of the Lord, then, then I think it, it's right to be fearful that mammon has become your master. And the truth of the matter is that mammon is always trying to unseat God from the throne of your life. And we are soaking in a materialism that wants to dethrone God. If, if we are spending all of our time, all of our energy, all of our resources on the things of this world, then we ought to at least be honest enough to admit that mammon has climbed and clawed its way into the throne of our, of our lives. And this is the time then to acknowledge that I'm just thinking about this man that I met on Thursday who went in for the test. What if he went to the test and what if the doctor said, we cannot believe that you're still alive, which is exactly what the doctor said. And what if the doctor said, what you need is to go into immediate surgery. We will take you in. And what if you said, no, I'm good. No, 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 I'm, I'm fine. Do you see, if, if we have this afternoon allowed the Holy Spirit to apply these passages to our lives and we say, I, I have failed the test, then what do we do? It's time to repent. It's time to turn our back on mammon and to turn towards Christ and all of his loveliness and to begin to follow him, to listen to his voice and, and, to, and to devote our lives to obedience and worship of Jesus. I thought I would share with you just a, a, a quick story about, about two masters. And, and it happened like this. Again, I, I, was in, I was in high school and our family bought a dog for the neighbor boy without his parents' approval. We just, I don't know why we did it, but we did. We went to the Humane Society and we picked out this puppy and it was just, it was a beautiful puppy and we gave it to him and we immediately regretted our decision, immediately. And not for the reason that you might think, we regretted it because we wish we had kept the dog ourselves. It was just, it was an amazing dog. It turned out that this dog was just, it was unique. I mean, it was not just beautiful, it was intelligent, it was affectionate. Like, everything that you would sort of hope for in a dog, this dog had it. In fact, people who hated dogs loved this dog. I mean, it was just, it was an incredible dog. And I, I have to sort of discipline myself not to um, go off onto too far of a tangent, but I want to just give you a quick snapshot. You, you, when I was in high school, people would have the newspaper delivered to their house. I know it was a long time ago. Let me just explain how this would happen. Somebody would drive by in a car and throw a newspaper into your driveway and then it would just sit there and you would have to go out and get it unless you had a dog that was brilliant and you would train it to go get the newspaper. And so they trained this dog when it was still a puppy to go get the newspaper and that, there's nothing impressive about that. What's impressive is that the next day, this still puppy realizes that the master loves newspapers and so goes up and down the street collecting the newspapers from all of the houses 
and brings it to their front door. So when they open the door, there's a pile of newspapers and upset neighbors. I mean, it's just like a, this dog was incredible. And every time I would go over to the neighbor's house, I, want, I played with the, with the dog. It was this just incredible puppy. And then here's, here's what we did, which I regret. I mean, to this day, I, I'm, I'm ashamed of what we did. And, and if I could take it back, I would, because what we did is we gave the dog a test. We've been talking about testing. We gave it a test between two masters. We didn't plan it. It just happened that the dog was in the middle of the living room. And the owner of the dog, this neighbor boy, our friend, he was on one end of the living room and I was on the other end of the living room. And we both started to call to the dog at the same time. I got down on my knees and he got down on his knees and we were both saying, come, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. And the dog immediately recognized we had put it in a terrible spot, that it had to choose. And it sort of waffled back and forth, not wanting to disappoint either one of us, but understanding that it had to choose somebody because you have to choose. And eventually it, it walked forward and, and she came to me. And I was, I was so happy, and I, and I was petting her, and I was celebrating my victory. And when I finished petting her, I stood up, and, and the dog turned around, and it looked at its owner, and it put its head down, and it began to wag its tail, just full of shame, and it walked back to him. And, and he, he pet her, but you could tell he was just devastated. Because it was obvious, you, you cannot serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, or you'll hate the one and love the other. And, and this is true for us. We cannot serve both God and money. We have to make a choice. And in his meek and mild voice, Jesus is calling to you and he's saying, come to me. Listen, I want you to come to me. Jesus is, is asking that of you. And he's explaining that you need to turn your heart from the treasures of this world, lift your eyes off of the things of this world, and, and look at Jesus seated at the right hand of God. He's saying, look at me in all of my glory. What am I doing? I'm speaking to God on your behalf. I am the mediator calling out to God and, and speaking on behalf of, of you. Come to me. Come follow me. And if, if we think that we can do both, which, which many Christians are trying to do today, we're trying to do both, our heart knows better. Our heart knows we can only, it can only be in one place at a time. And our eye knows better. You cannot look at the darkness and look at the light at the same time any more than you can focus on the tip of your nose and on something that's a mile away at the same time. And you cannot serve two masters. You have to choose. And, and, I'm, and I'm asking you then, with me, to repent. And that means to turn your back because the, the reality is we're both on the plane of this earth. We're, we're on the living room of this world and God is calling to us and he's saying, come, and you've got to turn your back on mammon. You've got to turn your back. That's repentance and say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done, but that's only the first half of repentance. You know, the second half of repentance is to walk. It's to make your way to Jesus. It's to, it's to begin investing in the things that are eternal. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's to begin producing the fruit that is in keeping with repentance. And, and so I'm calling you to put your focus, your attention, your whole life on, on this master who's more than a master. And I was going to end here, but I feel like I, I have to go just a little bit further, a little bit further down in the words that Jesus is speaking to the crowd. He does something which is just brilliant. And if, 
If it wasn't pointed out, you, you could miss it because Jesus is speaking about two masters. And we understand that master means obey, master means control, and, and that could give us a certain view of God. And Jesus then very brilliantly, as he begins to speak about the things of this world and, and the anxieties, do you know that he begins to lay out for us the reason that we feel so anxious? The reason that we feel so burdened and heavy laden, and, and the reason is this, we have not known God as a father. We have not known God as a father because if we knew God as a father, we would be free from the anxieties of this world. And so listen, here's what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 26, so I'm just jumping down slightly. Jesus speaking to the crowds says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father. That, that's, that's just the brilliance of Jesus. He, he, he's now switching. He's switching images from master to this, to what? Heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? What, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, look at the way that your Father in heaven cares for birds, and he, he loves you more than birds. And so you know he's, he's going to care for you. Look, the reason you have anxiety and tension is because you've been listening to the voice of a master who you, you instinctively know is abusive, that he's a liar, that he's making promises that he doesn't intend to keep. But you want so much to get the things of this world that you're listening to him make these promises and you're starting to follow after him even though you know that he's going to pull the rug out from under you. But if the Lord God was your father you would not be anxious or worry because you know that a father, a good father, in fact, a, a heavenly father, he feeds and he cares for his children. You're worth a lot more than birds. He cares for birds, but you know, you are his children. And can I tell you something then, which is, which is absolutely true about children is that they, one day, they will inherit, right? I mean, we're coming back now to treasure. When will we inherit the treasure of our Father? But isn't it in heaven? Don't you see, Jesus is saying, come, follow me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come, follow me. And where is Jesus going to take us? Well, he's going to take us home. He's going to take us home to heaven where our treasure is, a treasure which is so great that no eye has seen, no mind has conceived, what God has in store for those who love him. And he's saying to you, children, you are my children. Don't worry. Don't worry. Put your treasure on things above. Don't worry. Put your eyes on the things which are eternal. Don't, don't worry. Listen to the voice of your master, who is more than a master. He's a heavenly father. And follow him. Follow him. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and thief destroy. But lay up treasures in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let's pray. And would you, in this moment as we pray, um, perhaps this is the time where you begin to confess to the Lord that you've been listening to a voice that's not his. That you've been investing in a place which is not in heaven. And see that your father is saying, come, come to me. Let's pray. Father, we take some time just to reflect on the great love that you have for your children. That you have loved us so much that you did not spare your only son, but you gave him up for us. So that through belief in Jesus, through faith in him, we might have confidence that we will go home to be with you one day. That you have not made the path to heaven a financial path. We don't give our way in. We, we don't earn our way in. But Father, 
you have adopted us. You have received us as children. And you will not leave us as orphans. You will not let us starve. You will care for us because you love us even more than birds. And so, Lord, may we rest in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.